Welcome into AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent AWA podcast and video stream on the World Wide Web. My name is Chris Tubbs, and I'm excited to have you here because this is a big week for us here at AWA Unleashed. We are just a matter of, what, four days away from our very first live event taking place at the Lift Bridge Brewery in New Richmond, Wisconsin. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but let's bring in uh, George Shire and Mick Karch. And, and it's going to be a lot of fun, you guys. Like, it seemed like it was so far away. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're like, we're we're literally, I mean, counting the hours before we're going to head to to Lift Bridge. And it's, it's a great opportunity, you guys, for people in the Twin Cities and Western Wisconsin come out and come out and say hi and, and, you know, play our little reindeer games. You know, and the thing is, we can't stress the informality of this enough. I mean, that's the thing. You're not going to be winding your way through long lines and, you know, that type of thing, you know, waiting to, you know, get an autograph. We're going to talk professional wrestling. We're going to talk old school. We're going to schmooze, going to give away some stuff, have some trivia. And uh, this is, you know, normally there's a red carpet, for a big event like this, we're going to put out a throw rug and it will lead right, right up to wherever we're doing this. I was going to say, it'll be the Karch and uh, Shire meet and greet right there. That's exactly right. It's going to be well, great. You know, we could get a hold of Casey, Anna and Casey, and have him throw down one of his rugs, you know, for one of his harems, you know, for our show. But, you know, Mick's right. We This seemed a long time ago that we started planning this, and mm -hmm. this is big. It's four days away. I'm excited. I hope we have hundreds of people there, literally. Come out. You don't have to dress up. You're a wrestling fan. You can come casual, come as you are, mm -hmm. and just have a good time outside. We're gonna we're gonna be dressed just oh as God, you why don't you just now. call them why don't you just dressed? Why don't you just call them GED getting neckbeards and be over with it? Jeez. No, you know, wrestling fans, we don't want to dress up when we go to the wrestling card. I want to point something out. If you ever look at a wrestling mm -hmm. audience from the 40s, you look yeah. at some of the videos that are out there, the guys are all in suits and ties and the women are in dresses. Right, Mick? Yeah, and but they're smoking too, George. Exactly. But see, here's, I got something that wrestling fans can wear that's even better than a suit and tie. Oh, boy. Hello. Oh, Mr. T uh. It's Mr. AWA Unleashed T-shirt. Hello, everybody. <laughs> He's the newest member of our crew. It's Mr. T-shirt. Say well, hello. you did it again, Chris. Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. Oh, Good going, buddy. Hello. I want to be a part of your crew, too. Hello. There went the 10 people that are watching, right? There it is. Are you kidding? Minute oh. by minute, baby. Minute by minute. Yeah, these are now available. AWA Unleashed t-shirts. Uh, they are available at uh, sodastickco.com. Uh, and I'm excited. I've got it. Mick's got it. Uh, George doesn't believe in t-shirts. So uh, that's okay. Well, you, know, you had to put me under the bus there, didn't you? I'm just spitting the truth, as the kids would say. That's this straight out keeping it 100. This is true. I, I will say that in answer to that, I'm a sweatshirt guy. So It's going to be 75 degrees. I time. understand. But when you see my five-inch pythons, you uh, don't want to have a T-shirt on. Sun's out, gun's out, right, Georgie? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're um, going to have fun, guys. This we, is going to be a big time. We're going to be able to answer questions, talk to yeah. you in person. And Mick mentioned autographs. You know, hey, if you want our autograph, we'll be happy as long as it's not on a check. Okay? But we'll be happy to do it. 
So, yeah, I, I mean, in all seriousness, uh, Taproom opens at noon. The show at 2, uh, Wrestling at Midwest, all, uh, yep, Midwest All-Star Wrestling at 3.30. It's going to be great. Let's have some fun. It's a lot of bullshit, a lot of shenanigans, giveaways, just very casual. Uh, we're just going to have fun. Again, for those that are in the uh, western Wisconsin, the Twin Cities area, uh, come on and uh, and catch us. We're going to have a great time. And uh, you like my cans, by the way? Uh, one more with the juicy. So, uh, also want to thank Soda Stick because Soda Stick, you guys, is the they are the uh, really like the merchandise, uh, the apparel sponsor. And coming up on Friday, we've got a special announcement. Um, it's a special one of a kind item that's going to be available from Soda Stick. Uh, I know you guys have uh, you guys have gotten yours. Uh, I've gotten mine, and I'm excited to let people know. So be looking um, at Facebook and uh twitter and and all of it there and we've also got uh, a new sponsor that we're working with here uh momentarily okay that being said guys um let's get into today because i know this is something that it's near and dear to i know especially you mick because this is something that you're very familiar with and this has been maybe one of our most requested shows and it's about awa announcers um do we want to do the the trivia from last week first, or do we sure. want to do the okay? Let's do yeah, the let's trivia. Do okay, okay, let's do the the trivia first here. Uh, go ahead and give us the uh, the name and the answer to to last week, Nick. All right, congratulations to Murray Brady, who knew that the wrestler who poured buckets of change into the outstretched hands of Wally Carbo in order to pay an appearance bond. Back in the 1970s, $10,000 in coin he poured it into Wally's hands uh, was Dr. X. And uh, Murray, congratulations. We're going to send you some uh, wrestling merchandise and uh, good going. You were the one and only who knew that it was Dr. X. Now, was it really 10000 or was that just like a gimmick 10000 Well, you know, it may as well have been 10000 because by the time Wally got his hands <laughs> out of the way, you know, I, I Wally never realized that all he had to do was put his hands in his pockets, and you know that the, the pain, <laughs> they would have just fallen. You know, but uh, <laughs> that I would make for good TV. Ten thousand, one thousand, you know, a buck fifty. I don't know what it was. All I know is I do remember the incident, and when the doc was pouring the money out in change to Wally Carbo, <laughs> you know, it was it was a classic <laughs> moment because he's he never got told he had to bring cash or any other thing. <laughs> He had to bring the change, and he did. All right. Let's uh, get to it here, guys. Um, this is about announcers, and this is about the people that the, – the the voices and the faces and, you know, really the ones that – you know, these are the ones that are really identifiable for fans when they'd be watching a TV. So I'm going to start with you, Mick, uh, because of your experience in this, in this area. What is the importance of play-by-play -play announcers for professional wrestling? I, I think it's immeasurable, and I'm not just saying that because I did it or do it. Um, it's a soundtrack, you know. It, it it would be like going to a uh, going to a movie, and in the the most tense part of the movie, the the most the thriller or whatever, you get no background music, no horror music, whatever. Um, wrestling announcers are responsible not only for putting over the guys in the ring, helping them to tell that story and paint the picture, but also in the end, it's all about selling tickets, and you've got to do that. So 
Uh, the importance of wrestling announcers can't be overstated. You know, I've had some guys say, yeah, you know, the announcers need us. We don't need them. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you, you go ahead and blow a couple of spots there in your match and don't have the announcer there to cover it for you and see how well it goes. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. How has the role changed over the years? Because when I watch some of the older videos, I mean, it, it definitely feels like there's a different approach and a different way that they're telling stories compared to where now it's just mostly just promoting all of these extraneous things. Well, you know, and you hit it right on the head. That's what it is right now. The idea is to promote the next pay-per-view or, you know, subscribing to uh, the Peacock Network or whatever it is. It's just the way things have changed, you know, in, in the world in general. Back in the day, wrestling announcers treated the sport more like it was a sport, more like it was a competition. It was more serious. And the idea was to suspend that disbelief for a couple hours and take people on that roller coaster ride. Uh, nowadays, a lot of vignettes, a lot of joking around. Let's toss it backstage. Let's look at this and that. We got this big pay-per-view coming up. So it has changed. The dynamic of it has changed substantially, um, just like the business has. It's just a microcosm of how the whole sport has changed. And, you know, I'd add something in there when you're talking about putting the guys over and how that aspect works. You know, I've worked a few times with Mick on play-by-plays, and you've got to make every wrestler in the ring seem like somebody big. You have to overlook any of their flaws or shortcomings. And, I mean, if we're putting over a jobber versus a main guy, we've got to make the fans temporarily suspend disbelief that that jobber had a chance, that enhancement talent had a chance. Make them look better than they are. And if you don't do that, the fans Mm -hmm. lose you. So our job, Mick's job, when he does this and does it well, you've got to put these guys over and make the fans want to run to see them live. And and just real quick, Chris, you know, to to that point, when George and I showed Nick Bockwinkle our tape from Winnipeg, and we were dealing with some pretty awful stuff back oh, yeah. in 1986. Uh, George and I are doing the commentary. We're getting over some talent that probably didn't deserve it. And Nick's comment was, and I, you know, it's a direct quote, if you guys can get this shit over, you can get anything over. So that's the name of the game. Sell the product, sell the guys. What are we going to be talking about today, George? I, I mean, because when we talk about announcers, it can be so subjective um, kind of give people an overview as to what the next 40 minutes or so are, are, are going to be like. Well, the important thing that we've already pointed on is that the announcers were a very uh, intricate part of the pro wrestling, all-star wrestling, or any territory they were in. They introduced the show. They interview the wrestlers. They put the wrestlers over. They try to sell the tickets. They give their spiels, pushing the card, the lineup. It's also very important. And those sitting at ringside doing that play-by-play, as we just pointed out, they have to really make each wrestler somebody special. We've got a highlight today because we are going to talk. We're going to highlight some of the real special announcers. We're not slighting anyone, but we definitely are going to highlight some of the better known. And we're going to maybe share some stories along the way. Well, we will about some of these guys as well. But they were the face of all-star wrestling. Let's kick it off with a legendary Hall of Famer, maybe one of the most well-known and iconic broadcasters in the history of the AWA. And I think 
this is the genesis. This is the only place to start this conversation, George. Well, this goes back pre-AWA, Chris and Mick. If you go back to 1953-54, Minneapolis, the territory, was an NWA territory, but the very first announcer that any fan of our age would remember is Marty O'Neill. And Marty was a, a figurehead from 53 all the way up to the mid-70s, even the late 70s, when he did All-Star Wrestling. And there he is. That is such an iconic pose when he would introduce the program, All-Star Wrestling. And Marty was so good at it, so calm. And he, he told me one time, he said, the only thing that Vern Gagne ever told him was that make sure that the guys kind of stand in front of you because we want the guys to be bigger. And the funny part about that is Marty was only about five, I think five, nine at best. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Like where right he, there. okay. Right there. It okay. all, they always wanted to have the camera angle where the wrestlers would always appear bigger. Now, Mad Dog wasn't the biggest guy in the world. We know how good he was, but even there, he looks bigger than Marty. And that was the illusion they needed to create. Marty was a tremendous radio guy in his day, WMIN radio for those fans who remember. He was a great athlete from St. Paul. He played football. He played baseball. And it was announcing that was his forte. And when he landed with professional wrestling, he was the figurehead for so many years. He would sell the chair speed. He would sell Vern Gagne's, uh, Gagne metrics. And he earned himself the right to be in the Pavic Broadcasting Museum in St. Louis Park. And if you know the elite broadcasters that are in there, Marty definitely is one of them. And just one of the greatest voices for pro wrestling ever. And will always be my personal favorite. And I had a chance to know him personally. Um, can't say how nice a guy he was. And so just absolutely the greatest. Now He's I say that. Yeah, I was going to say before George goes on to the next one, I, I just want to make a comment about Marty O'Neill's interview style. Marty asked a question and he held the microphone. That was it. He let the talent take it from there. And, you know, wrestling evolved over the years into, uh, and, and I'm guilty of it too. I was more of a Gene Okerlund kind of guy, you know, mugging for the camera. Marty didn't have to do that. Marty was selling tickets just by standing there, being a little guy, talking to a big guy, and putting over a fight. And he did it better than anybody. Let's uh, get to your uh, – well, no, I, I believe this one is uh, back to you, George, if I'm not yes, mistaken. You're, yeah. uh, you're going with your second one here. And uh, another name that people are – they remember very, very, very fondly. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, he, coincidentally, he was really Marty O'Neill's uh, co-partner on the, on the broadcast. He would sit ringside on the TV broadcast and give us a play-by-play. -play. And I'm talking about the guy, Roger Kent. There isn't a fan out there that doesn't recognize all the great cliches that Roger used. You know, Katie bar the door when all out pandemonium's breaking loose. And the pile driver, he's, they ought to bar it. It's barred in some states. It's crippled a lot of guys. You know, he had all these one-liners. Larry Hennig's big enough to go bear hunting with a switch. Great wrestling voice, great radio voice, KDWB and many other radio stations. And he was a longtime uh, employee of WTCN-TV, where originally he was hooked up with Marty. And he did the 
uh, play-by-plays well into the 70s. Just iconic voice. And certainly, when you turned on All-Star Wrestling, Roger Kent was a voice and a face you knew well. You know, the fans like those kind of inside stories, the backstage stories. A couple of things about Roger Kent. Roger was not a big Vern Gagne fan. You know, he worked for Vern for years, but I would see Roger in the Dykeman Hotel lobby where the wrestling office was, walking around back and forth, putting the bad mouth on Vern to anybody that would listen uh, about his salary and what have you. But, you know, Roger did very well for himself. And I've told this story before when Roger got word that I was interested in maybe getting into the broadcasting business. Uh, One night in St. Paul, Roger approached me and let's just say this. He made his displeasure uh, very well known to me that uh, he was very protective of his turf. And, uh, you know, so uh, but again, like George said, iconic in the in the wrestling business. Um, Moving on right now to Roger Kent's, actually his partner in promoting some shows around the state of Minnesota, the the five-state area, and just a absolute jack-of-all-trades when it came to pro wrestling and TV production, our friend Al DeRusha. And Al did it all. And he's another member of the Pavic Museum Hall of Fame. Not only a ring announcer, TV announcer, play-by-play guy, promoter, uh, you name it, Al did it. And, you know, he, he produced some television shows uh, for WTCN besides wrestling, including the Lunch with Casey TV show. Al did it all. And he, uh, I, I can't say enough good things about him. He was a great guy to work with when I was there. And again, talk about the legends in the AW. And, you know, Al refereed too. He did everything. And uh, just a great guy. You got to have a real, you got to have a real love for the business and, and think about how talented do do you have to be, to be able to do all of those things and do it well. Like that is, it is such an underrated skill when people can do so many different things and do it seamlessly. Yeah. And you know, I'd point out with Al, when you talk about being a Jack of all trades, I honestly believe that all-star wrestling as it was uh, produced and played out on TV would not have been successful without without Al being the producer and behind the scenes making sure that everything went well. So he he was the glue that kept everything together. Definitely an integral part. All right, let's go to the next one, Mick, because this, uh, along with along with Marty O'Neill, this might be the most popular, well-known announcer to ever come out of the AWA. Oh, there's no question about it. And I know, George, you and I talked about this before I go in depth a little bit. This was a guy, absolutely right place, right time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Marty O'Neill, who we already discussed, had been the longtime announcer, and he was the member of a broadcasting union. They went out on strike right before the All-Star Wrestling Show was going to go live on the air. And Vern, Marty wouldn't cross the picket line. Vern went to... Uh, Gene Okerlund and asked him, will you do the show? And then, you know, Mick, you can give all the accolades about how talented he was to do this. You know something? There's not enough time to give all the accolades. I mean, Gene was an old disc jockey for WDGY, uh, called himself Gene Leader uh, on when he was on the air doing Top 40 radio. And as George said, right place, right time. Icon doesn't even begin to describe it. Gene transformed what a wrestling announcer was all about. Uh, he was a uh, 
he was a showman. He was a carny. He he was an advertising guy, so he could sell, 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 and that's what he did. And his interaction with the wrestlers like Jesse Ventura, uh, Dr. David Schultz, you know, on and on, was just phenomenal. And Gene became as important as the wrestlers, not only in the AWA, but of course when he went to the WWF. Chris, you said at the beginning, probably the most recognizable wrestling announcer ever. And uh, just a funny, funny guy, quick-witted. Um, I had an opportunity to uh, to visit with Gene on more than one occasion. Just a class act. And you can't talk pro wrestling without talking mean Gene Okerlund. And I don't know if it was Jesse that gave him the main mean Gene or Hulk Hogan or whoever it was. It was, it was Jesse. But, yeah, but uh, is there anybody more famous than Gene Okerlund? Well, I, I think he he transcended pop culture. Yes. Think about at that point to be an announcer and get into pop culture and the lexicon and the vernacular of just random people that might not even be wrestling fans. You might not know Squad Douche about wrestling, but you know the name Mean Gene. I mean, you just think about what kind of an impact you've got to have and how much people, how, how much of a, yeah, how much of a presence you have and, and yeah, he might be one of the most well-known and maybe the one of the longest careers that I can remember because, I mean, it went years and years and years. Oh, he was a talented guy on so many levels, great singer and what have you. Just a quick story about Gene. He was at Cauliflower Alley Club one year, and he spotted me, and he wanted to introduce me to some of his some of his associates. And I'm expecting this big, you know, Mick is a, you know, a local announcer in the Twin Cities, yada. But what he said was, this is Mick Carson. He is a close personal friend of Eddie Sharkey. I don't know where it came from, but I'll, I'll take it and I'll run, I'll run with it. But that's the way that Gene put me over to his buddies. You never knew what was going to come out of Gene's mouth. I'll point out about Gene how really important he was, if you really want to put it into focus. When Hulk Hogan made his move to the WWF, it was Hulk Hogan who told Vince McMahon Jr., I want Gene Okerlund to come with me. And here's the thing, and I believe this with all my heart. Part of the success of the WWE expansion back then was truly due to Gene Okerlund because he was the right man, the yes. right face, the right voice, the right personality to make that work. And that was part of it. Mm -hmm. It's just leave it at that. Mean Gene was the real deal and, and a good guy outside the ring. Yes. I had a chance to chat, chat with him privately and funny guy. Yep. Let's uh, move on to the uh, the next one. This is one that I get some questions on from uh, friends of mine that uh, still remember our next individual here, George. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, my buddy, our buddy, Kenny Resnick. Ken, Killer Ken, they called him, Ken Resnick. And, you know, I got to tell you guys, I think if I ever felt a little sorry and sympathy for someone, it was Ken Resnick when he took the microphone on All-Star Wrestling because he had to follow Mean Gene Okerlund. He was Gene's replacement. And in the beginning, Ken, you could see he wasn't gene okerland and for any fan that watched wrestling in that era and we know how good gene was and the audience that he attracted gene had to follow that or, or kenny had to follow that 
And in the beginning, he looked green. He looked maybe a little scared, but he fit into it. He rolled into it. He became his own personality, and he did so well with it. Um, I think just having to follow a legend mm. is tough. It's and, hard to be the guy that follows the guy. Exactly. Okay. And Ken Resnick, I think it was a, a big plate, a big shoe to fill, but he did it. And he is a success, mm-hmm. and I love his broadcasting. He really grew into it. He's a great guy outside the ring. Um, always enjoy when we can get together. And he also eventually did a little stint at uh, that circus out east. So, but yeah, great, great guy. And sorry he had to replace a legend because I think that took a little bit away from what he really brought to the business. All right, let's move on to this guy. Probably is about the era that you started watching, Chris, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yeah, yeah. This, this, uh, this, this, is a guy, this is a guy that, uh, along with some guy named Mick Cart, I don't know who that guy is, but um, like this is another guy that I remember. I remember this guy because he was the guy before another guy. But yeah. <laughs> Without a question of a doubt, <laughs> this man is one of the real characters in wrestling. And he had his detractors, but I'll tell you what. Nobody worked harder at his job to get stuff over than my good friend, Larry Nelson. Uh, the late Larry Shipley, uh, which is what his real name was. Uh, Larry was a character. He was, in a lot of ways, he, he was his own worst enemy because of his lifestyle. Uh, he loved to party. He loved being part of the boys. And uh, a, a lot of times that kind of cost him the morning after. Uh, to put it uh, lightly, um, Larry is known for his facial expressions, his over-the-top uh, announcing style. You know, he kind of held that microphone between two figures. You never knew, you know, if he was going to drop it or what. Um, when I had a chance to work with Larry out in uh, in Vegas, he was just a tremendous guy. Um, he took his, his role very, very seriously. He took a lot of crap from some of the higher-ups. Uh, but... Throughout the 1980s, Larry Nelson was the voice and the face of all-star wrestling. There's no doubt about it. He started out as a radio guy as well. He used to do radio broadcasts. George will remember this uh, for a short time. When the matches were drawn so well, uh, they would do radio broadcasts from the St. Paul Civic Center, and Larry would sit to Mike's side. Uh, A great guy, very close friends with the Midnight Rockers, and uh, that got him in trouble every once in a while, too. down at Jukebox Saturday night in downtown Minneapolis, but I miss him. Larry was a great guy, great friend, and great personality. Okay, so let me ask you this, because he was one of the boys. Did that did that help him? Was there a little bit more of a comfort level with the, the talent with the boys? Because he would, he would, you know, party with them and be social with them, or did they feel like maybe, was it a hindrance? I mean that relationship, I mean, how was that viewed? I don't think it was a a hindrance to him. uh, And I didn't hear about him doing too much other than with the Midnight Rockers. So, you know, that was kind of the the close situation they had there. I don't think it was a hindrance. I think Larry loved it. Larry loved the fact that he could get over with with at least some of the boys. Uh, He was a big Nick Bockwinkle fan. I remember Mm -hmm. that. Um, And as George mentioned a little bit earlier about these bigger guys and how they're positioned when they're doing an interview, Larry was a big guy. Larry was about 6'2", probably about 250. 
And a lot of times, if you look at those old interviews, just like Roger Kidd, Larry would take a step back and make the smaller guys look a lot bigger. But uh, I really enjoyed working with Larry Nelson. Even when he put over the blaster coming through the back of the, the screen, the interview backdrop, the blaster came blasting through. And uh, I'm not sure how many fans remember that, but Larry oversold it as good as a, of an oversell as anybody I've ever heard. But God bless you, Larry. It was great working with you. Well, you know, the thing about Larry Nelson, when you talk about his facial expressions and you talk about that blaster incident, which is probably one of the best ones to, to make my point, Larry was very animated in his body movements, whereas Gene Okerlund, he would give you just that little look in the eye or just the casual, come on, Jesse. Oh, come on, Jesse. But Larry was animated. He'd be moving. He'd be moving back and forth. And when the blaster come through, yeah, he really sold that one. Whatever happened to the blaster? He got blessed. All right. Yes, I heard. Moving Larry, on, ladies and gentlemen. Here's a lot a of guy people in the wrestling business got blasted from what I hear. Never happened. But here's a guy <laughs> that I'm going to talk about right now that really was, was an accomplished announcer on a lot of levels, including being a former broadcaster for the Minnesota North Stars hockey team. And uh, in the scheme of things in the AWA, you know, a lot of fans don't remember him. I even had to remind uh, George who he was, but Doug McLeod was the voice of uh, Pro Wrestling USA back in the middle 1980s when Vern was kind of transitioning, uh, trying to keep up with the WWF at the time machine, uh, bringing in a lot of talent from other promotions, NWA and so forth. Doug was a professional announcer. I mean, he was very good. Uh, there was nothing funny about him. He didn't do a lot of shtick. He was very, very serious, and uh, again, in the scheme of things, kind of a blip on the radar in terms of longevity in the AWA, but a great announcer. Worked alongside, you know, uh, some of the AWA stars uh, who were doing the color commentary with him, but uh, Doug was a real, real pro, and for the time when Vern needed a facelift uh, going through that, uh, that Vince McMahon head-to-head, -head, mm -hmm. Doug was the guy. And uh, how about the uh, the next one? I, I think you've got this one as well, Mick. Oh, Rod Trondyard. I cannot say enough good things about Rod. When you talk about a true professional in the wrestling business as an announcer, not only because he, he had a great speaking voice and, you know, a recognizable voice behind the microphone, Rod had been a play-by-play -play guy for the Minneapolis Lakers basketball team back in the day. He had a radio background. He had a TV background. And Vern put him in the play-by-play, -play, the hot seat for the AWA for many, many years. And as I said, Rod was a true pro. There was nothing over the top about him. You know, a lot of times he would get the names wrong, poor guy, um, you know, at least a, a little variation on a name, but he always did the best he could. And I remember when he would, when they would do the matches in St. Paul at the Civic Center, Rod was not at ringside a lot of times. He was in a back room calling the matches off a monitor. It was a really difficult thing to do because you couldn't get the feel of being there in front of the live crowd. So he why, why was he doing it off of the monitor? This is the way that Vern did it. They, you know, when they, at least for a time, uh, Rod Vern just did not want the guy sitting at ringside doing the play-by-play. -play. 
So he would put the guys in the back at the St. Paul Civic Center, set them at a table, and they would work off the monitor. And that's the way Rod did it. Um, but a true professional, great guy. When he came to the arena, he did his job. He called the matches, had a piece of pie, cup of coffee, went to bed, and, and went home. And uh, I loved working with Rod Trongard, a real professional. The thing about Rod Trongard that I always enjoyed was he was another radio voice that I knew and having him associated with wrestling and as well as he adapted to it made him very iconic in my eyes. And I always enjoyed his play-by-play. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you, I think you hit on an interesting point there, George, that these guys have, they have the, the broadcasting background. So you're familiar with those names, with those voices. And it adds that credibility to come from another broadcasting you know, entity and, and, you know, with the North star, the Lakers and everything. Um, now moving on to somebody that I know is a, uh, you talk about close personal friends, George, this might be one of my favorite people in the entire world. And if you do not like the Polish Eagle, that's on you because I don't know one person that does not like the next individual. Well, you're talking, of course, about Dick Jankowski. And I think you said it best. I'm going to phrase it this way. If you've got a problem with Dick Jankowski, you've just got a problem. Because Dick is phenomenal. He is funny. He is he is so quick-witted. Mm-hmm. He was a radio voice. He had a, ra- a long-running radio show. He did go for play-by-play. He is invited all the time to celebrity banquets and roasts and different things to be the the uh, announcer for the event he he hosted uh, Mick and I when we did our our super clashes our wrestling clashes back in the in the 80s he was was our go-to guy to to take the show and just so funny um, on a personal level Dick Jankowski is in the ring doing the announcing and right in the middle of it, he gets out of the ring, comes over to my ringside seat and hands me a photograph of himself and says, Merry Christmas. You know, like, OK, Dick, I needed this picture for my fridge. Thank you. He had shirts printed that said, I am a close personal friend of Dick Jankowski. He, he was, he, you know, we know who that came from. But uh, yeah. he, he was such a guy, and he gave him away. He didn't charge you for him. He wanted you to wear it. It was his way of promoting himself. And Mick and I, I'm going to let Mick tell this funny story, but we were getting together to do a uh, one of our wrestling uh, reunions, and we were going to bring Dick in. We were a guest on his radio show. And, Mick, you go ahead and tell the story because it's true and it's funny. I'm not sure that this has happened too many times in broadcasting history, but George and I are out there, uh, KSMM Radio, I believe, and we're doing an on-location for Dick's Morning Radio Show at the Perkins in Shakopee, Minnesota. Uh, I don't know what Dick had been doing the night before, if he was you know, up all night with Mrs. Jankowski, I'm not quite sure. But here, George and I, Dick asks us a question about the event. George and I are talking, we're kind of looking at each other, and going back and forth, and we look over at Jankowski. And Dick Jankowski, the host of the show, ladies and gentlemen, yes, yes. his head is like this. He's doing one of these. He's out. He's out like a light. The man has fallen asleep in <laughs> mid-bite. 
Mid-bite? Mark, a raspberry Bismarck, mid-bite, he's gone. He's tanked, he's somewhere else, he's la-la land, he's, you know, sawing logs, and he's got this little bit of jelly <laughs> dripping down the side of his mouth, and I had to reach over and, like, you know, motion of dick, did you just, is this over? Is this pre-Jerry Lawler? Did something happen to this guy while we're doing a broadcast on live television? And it, probably the first and only time that a guy has fallen asleep hosting a show and then proceeded to drip a jelly donut out of his mouth. But that was Dick Jankowski. And the way the way he described, Mick just described his head bobbing down because he was going in and out, and then he was out. I'm fairly certain that's where the bobblehead was created. <laughs> it may be on Jankowski because he was demonstrating. But what a super oh, guy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And whenever he whenever he's on the radio, he's got these one-liners. He whips them off so quick. Um, absolute and for all-star wrestling, his though his time wasn't long there, mm -hmm. it was memorable and absolutely, in my opinion, one of the greatest AWA announcers. And just if you want to have quick, fun with it. I gotta tell this one real quick. Nick Bockwinkle's 60th birthday. Oh yeah. Dick is out there as the MC, and all the dignitaries, even Shire and I, are out there. And uh, Dick is introducing everybody in attendance, and she can on LKC and whatever. And Dick's idea of putting over how great Nick's marriage to his lovely wife, Darlene, was, he said, and their sex life is so tremendous that Nick had a strobe light installed over their bed to give himself the illusion that Darlene was actually moving. So that was <laughs> typical of, of Dick Jankowski, <laughs> the Polish Eagle, the man of the jelly donut. But, somehow that doesn't surprise me. No. Somehow that doesn't. I, I never, you know, when I first met Dick, I met him in the early 2000s when I was doing University of Minnesota, you know, play, bas uh, women's basketball, play-by-play, -play, and, and women's volleyball and baseball and all of that. But I had no idea he was part of the AWA. I, he, we talked, but he never told me about that. And and we talked old school wrestling, but I, it just never, I don't know. He's just, I think when you get down to it, he's just, he's a super, super good person who's got a fantastic personality. And yeah, I mean. You just he, can't not like him. He, you can't you know, not. Yes, exactly. No, you, you can't, can't not. not like if you do, you're not a problem. That, it's just that simple. A guy who was legitimately scared of Stan Hansen, by the way, uh, Dick Jankowski. He did not like Stan coming in the ring swinging that cowbell when he, you know, Stan couldn't see two feet in front of him. Mm -hmm. um, moving on to yeah. another iconic name in not only the AWA, but also wrestling broadcasting in general. And this is the man that actually replaced me uh, in the AWA and went on to make a lot more money than I did. Uh, but I'm talking about Lee Marshall. And Lee Marshall with probably one of the most recognizable, professional, booming radio and TV voices of all time. Uh, when Lee first started doing his broadcasting, I would—I I, got to admit, I was not a fan because I thought Lee was kind of way, way over the top and almost like a, a carnival barker. Um, but he kind of grew on you after a while as he became more acclimated to the wrestling business. And, of course, he had his AWA stint. He had the misfortune, sadly, of doing some of those events up in Rochester, Minnesota, when the AWA was in its final years. 
Uh, but then he went on to WCW and worldwide acclaim there. And of course, the voice of Tony the Tiger for yeah. the uh, for the Kellogg's Frosted Flakes commercials. Uh, Lee sadly left us a few years ago, but what a great name. What a, a great iconic name in the business. Yeah, I couldn't say anything more than what Mick has added. Uh, Lee had uh, that powerful voice. I mean, wow, you you recognized who it was. And who doesn't remember Frosted Flakes with uh, Tony the Tiger? I mean, that's that's your childhood. That's They're great. great. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, that's, that's just one one line, and you knew it. Yeah. The one line, and you knew it. Yeah, and he uh, did wrestling really well. He did. Yes, he, he adapted did. well. Yeah. Let's go to the uh, the next individual that, uh, while a lot of people don't, he was a part of the AWA as an announcer. I think more people recognize him for uh, more of an executive role in uh, other promotions. Where, I mean, he's done a lot of really, I mean, a hell of a businessman. But uh, when we're talking about announcers, you know, I mean, this is a guy that people remember here, George. Yeah, and we're talking about Eric Bischoff. And, you know, Eric, um, I would say sometimes I felt maybe he was his own worst enemy. It wasn't that he was a bad announcer, but it was the way he delivered it. Um, he, I guess maybe it's a perception. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not alone in this. He had an arrogance about him, a cockiness sort of delivery. And he... He came off as being, I know more than you do. And, you know, he was an in-your-face guy. He was a guy that could take charge, but domineering. And if you looked at what he did with the AWA, which in its, you know, total picture wasn't that long, but he was one of the final voices in the AWA when we were on life support. He did go on to go into uh, WCW and others and doesn't have the best reputation, but Nonetheless, he had success at different times. So he's a very different individual. Um, not one of my favorites, but certainly in the scheme of the AWA announcer history, you know, Eric has to be noted for the part that he played. And he worked alongside Greg Gagne in the final, probably I think it was the final year they did play-by-play -play and that sort of thing together. And uh, I just wasn't a fan. You know, what's interesting about Eric Bischoff, and he was, he was also one of these guys, right place, right time. He was doing some marketing uh, in the background for the AWA, and then all of a sudden one day he's got a microphone and a suit on and, and uh, you know, at a moment of emergency. And I will say this about Eric Bischoff. A, he fell into the role really well. He got better as an announcer over the years, mm -hmm. no question about it. And, and that's really all you can ask, though. That's I great. mean, is it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your background is. If you're asked to do something, as long as you're getting better at it and you're working at your craft, as an employer, you just want people that are going to put in the work and try and get better. And in reality, that's everyday life, too, Chris, at any job. When you first come in, you're not quite sure what you're doing. You got to get acclimated. You got to get your feet wet a little bit. And Eric Bischoff certainly do, did that. Uh, when he went to WCW, whatever the end result finally was, WCW Nitro was gigantic. Yes. And yes. To that point, nobody was even making a dent in Vince McMahon's armor. And whatever it took, Eric Bischoff by Hooker Crook, he did it, and he delivered, and he had all those weeks and years where he was beating uh, Monday Night Raw in the in the Monday Night ratings. So like him or not, and he does have his detractors, and yes, WCW did go under, 
But talk about an icon, you know, in the modern era yeah. of wrestling, Eric Bischoff is right up there. No question. Yeah, I, I do think that when it comes to the post-AWA stuff, I, I will say this about Eric Bischoff. From a business perspective, he came in and he did things that WCW had never done. Right. And he had he had to, to, to make it survive. And you look at without Nitro and Luger showing up at the Mall of America and having to kick Vince McMahon in the ass with the, the Austin 316 and the Attitude Era. I really don't think without Eric Bischoff doing what he did with WCW, and I know it's kind of a little bit of a sidebar, I just feel like without that, I don't think we would have had that that golden age, kind of that renaissance in the mid to late 90s that we had if it wasn't for what he did with WCW to really light the fire under Vince. Because to me, if we don't have that, I mean, we may have continued to have this just pattern of, of really, really bad wrestling that we, we had after the AWA went out and, you know, we had really, frankly, really crappy, crappy wrestling in WWE and um, WCW or NWA. Chris, what I would add to that is uh, Eric uh, played the role of a, a heel just tremendously. I don't know if it was typecasting or what, but when he came on as the, the smarky heel and got involved in the NWO, his television character, he was one of those guys that, you know, made you really dislike him. And uh, it all translated into great ratings for WCW. The rest is history. He still is around and a major player in wrestling, making appearances in his podcast and, and so on and so forth. So he's a, he's a player. He's a big-time guy. And the key thing is is that it's, it's terrible sometimes that we look at people who have had success and we knock them. And it isn't fair because Bischoff had success. He was yeah. good. He did a good job. The same as we just, we had uh, problems with Vince Jr. with everything he was doing. But the man's a millionaire. He's done something right. And whether we like him or not, you can't knock success. And Eric had it. Eric was good. You bet. Yeah. And uh, let's go from talking about millionaires to talking about um, maybe hundred heirs. And uh, let's talk about the, uh, the the one. Now, all kidding aside, the, the last uh, – oh, man, the glasses are coming off. I can do that. Hold on. No, I can't because I got the headset on. I can't get out of this damn headset. right? What now. are you, Greg Ganya? There you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, all, all kidding aside, um, the next individual we're going to talk about is somebody that I admired and somebody that I still admire and I look up to because – I grew up as a wrestling fan. I grew up as somebody that uh, loved broadcasting. And when this individual came on my TV, I knew that at the time I didn't realize that the AWA was in such peril creatively and, you know, athletic, whatever it was. I, I didn't know. To me, it was still something that I very much looked forward to. And I thought this individual did a hell of a job. I, I wanted to... Uh, you know, I wanted to be this individual, and Mick, that's that's you. I mean, you really are one of the biggest names that I remember uh, when it comes to the AWA, and that's just my era. But I think you deserve um, to have a legitimate spot, and I think wrapping up with you is the is the the, the best way to do this. Um, so let me ask you, I man, how did you get the gig with the AWA? Well, besides hanging around for 30 years before, uh, you know, and annoying people and pissing them off at the TV tapings and so on and so forth, 
Uh, Wally Carbo and Nick Bockwinkle were great influences on me getting the job. I was doing independent stuff uh, for Eddie Sharkey in the state of Minnesota and up into Canada. And uh, we had, uh, George and I had Nick Bockwinkle over at George's house and he was critiquing our work that we had done in Winnipeg. And I had mentioned that a little bit earlier. But Nick knew that I wanted to get into the business as an announcer for a long time. He put in a good word for me. And in the summer of 1987, I got a call from Greg Gagne. And Greg said, you want to do some ring announcing uh, at the Showboat Hotel in Vegas for ESPN? And basically, I said, you know, my bags are packed. You know, how soon can I can I get this uh, going? And it, it's funny, in the scheme of things, a lot of people refer to me as an old AWA announcer. Yeah, I did that, but it was for such a short period of time. I mean, my background in the AWA, AWA was doing publicity, uh, you know, print publicity and photography and that kind of thing. Uh, the announcing stint was about seven or eight months, and I moved yeah. to SNR. But uh, uh, I, I loved it. I loved the time, and it was it was special. What, what were your impressions when when you were there? When I was there, you know, you mentioned it, Chris, the AWA was kind of, you know, going down in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And they still had some talent. They had Tommy Rich and Adrian Adonis and, you know, a lot of people. Wahoo was still there. and, and um, But the mood was tense and more tense than it should have been. The locker room was not exactly a happy place to be. It was all business. But you could feel um, just if, if guys were screwing up, missed a spot or whatever, what normally would have been overlooked, mm -hmm. uh, Vern and Greg were pretty pretty upset and pretty serious about it. So you had that backdrop. Did you kind of get the sense? Did did they kind of feel like they were like there? This was kind of to the point of no return. I don't know if they believed that yet, but they knew they were in trouble, and okay. and I think reality was setting in. In 1986, the year prior, they were still kind of hanging on. They had Stan okay. Hansen. Rick Martell, Kurt Henning, so on and so forth. And they still had Kurt when I started there, but you could tell the writing was on the wall and things were not sticking that they were throwing against the wall. So yeah, tempers were flaring a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, for me personally, um, I'll be indebted to Vern Gagne and Greg Gagne forever. It was the opportunity of a lifetime. And I guess my last one for you, Mick, is... I know there are guys that can do ring announcing and they can do play by play, but not very many can do both. I mean, how did you transition from ring announcer to doing the color commentating with Rod? Well, you know, like I said, I was hired as the ring announcer. I didn't, you know, that's great. I'll put my, you know, put myself on television and, and get that notoriety, but I was a play by play guy. That's what I wanted to do. And I remember I approached Vern when we were flying out to Vegas one day, and I, I gave him the idea. I said, hey, Vern, you know what? I can do play-by-play. -play. I've been doing it for years. Why don't you give me a shot at the microphone? And Vern's response was, what makes you think that you are a better color commentator than Vern Gagne? <laughs> and I, I just kind of shook my head and walked away. What I really wanted to say was, because I am. Uh, but I, I didn't uh, I didn't want to go there. But subsequently, you know, they mentioned to me a couple of times out in Vegas. Hey, you want to you know, want to do some play by play with Rod, uh, especially if Kurt Hennig was in the ring and Vern could not be impartial. 
uh, when Kurt was in the ring. So I had the opportunity, probably did it a half a dozen times or more with Rod, and uh, that's what I really wanted to do. Well, let's you know, uh, well, go ahead. Let George. me just say that I think we all like to hear about the local boy makes good, local boy, you know, gets to do what he wants. And Mick Karch was a good example of that because uh, he dreamed to be an announcer. And I'm glad that he had the opportunity. And I really believe in my heart that had the AWA been in better shape at the time and could have survived, uh, Mick Karch would have been the face of the of the promotion as yeah. far as our Marty O'Neill's and our Gene Okerlund's that we've talked about and the others. Um, tremendous. He's got the voice. He's got mm-hmm. the enthusiasm. And forever, uh, he did it. He, he did it his way and had fun with it for the short time that it was. And he's continued to do it on the independent mm-hmm. scene before and after. And of course, we'll always be indebted for that uh, three-year, two and a half year, three-year yeah. show of Saturday Night at Ringside, which was totally innovative at the time. No one else was doing it. So, Mick Karch, yeah, mm-hmm. in my in my eyes, you are part of what the AWA represented along with those other legendary voices that we, and faces mm-hmm. that we uh, mentioned. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I mean, there, there's a reason why people call him the voice of Minnesota wrestling. I mean, there's, there's a reason why that's not just a gimmick that you give yourself. I mean, that's who you are. That's who you are to me. That's who you are to probably hundreds of people. So, I mean, thousands of people. So, I mean, that's your cross to bear. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that you're, you're part of this crew. Thank so, you. I, I really right. appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, I got about five minutes here left, guys. Um, let's go ahead and do the uh, trivia for this week, Mick. Trivia for this week. We're talking about wrestling announcers, and a lot of uh, wrestlers moved into position of color commentators over the years with the AWA. Which guys did not do color commentary when they were with the AWA at any time? Your Choices are Ray Stevens, Jim Brunzel, Jack Lanza, Nick Bockwinkle, Dennis Stamp, Jimmy Garvin, or Rock Riddle. Now, it was more than one of those guys did not do color commentary for the AWA. So if you know, pick out the names, send them to me, my email, or George at his email, and so on and so forth, and let's have a winner. So uh, there you go. Um, again, wrestlers, plural. Wrestlers, yeah. more than one. That's you got to spell grammar. that out clearly so we get it done, okay? That's where the grammar comes in. More than That's one. More plural than one. Is more than one candy bar, kids. There you go. All right, uh, let's give our shout-outs here. And uh, the uh, floor directors count me down. So let's go ahead and give our shout-outs. Um, go ahead and go first, Mick. Jen Fritz. Uh, Jen is a longtime dear, dear friend of mine. I've known Jen for 30 years. She sells my merch at the matches. She supports our shows religiously. She's a great wrestling fan, great friend. A lot of things I could not do without her, uh, without her support. And uh, she deserves this. Love you, Jen. We all do. All right, uh, what do you got, George? My shout-out is going to go to a guy that I don't know personally, but I've come to know him on our Facebook pages as one of our great followers and just a a good contributor, and that's Dominic Brazda. And I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but 
really a guy that I've I've learned to appreciate and look forward to his posts and supporting our show. So I figured this is my time to say I'm loving you, Dominic. Keep it keep it coming. The good comments and keep listening. Appreciate you. And I'm going to go with John Shannon. Uh, John Shannon, Radio TFI on Twitter, also a uh, a big part of our, our friend uh, Shaletta Brundage. Give her a little bit of a plug. Uh, they do the Taxi Stand Hour. Um, just a great, great guy. Big supporter uh, of uh, of ours. He's repping the T-shirt, um, by the way, that you can get now at uh, sodastakeco.com. Uh, and we got a couple minutes left, guys. Just want to remind everybody, we got a big week. Number one on Friday, we've got an announcement with Soda Stick. We have got a special one-of-a-kind item that is going to be released. It's going to be a specialty one-of-a-kind item that is going to be available on Friday. So we're three days away from having that. And then we are four days away from our very first live show at the Liftbridge Brewery in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Tap Room opens at noon. Um, our show's at 2. Midwest All-Star Wrestling at 3.30. Um, this is for those that are in, you know, the Twin Cities and Western Wisconsin. Yes. So if you're in that area and you want to come on by, uh, go ahead and let us know. We're going to have, you know, giveaways. Uh, we're going to have shenanigans. We're going to have Q&A. It's just going to be very casual. Uh, a, a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully this is just the first of many live events that we're going to be doing. Uh, but yeah, catch us Saturday, Liftbridge Brewing um, for those in the Twin Cities and Western Wisconsin area. Uh, reminder, no show next week. No show next week. Um, we're going to be taking a week off, but then we're going to come back in a couple weeks and it's going to be about memorable characters. Now, I don't know if there's going to be vendors, it's going to be fans. I have no idea. Uh, I'm completely in the dark. I'm going to let you guys lead with this. So and that's going to be a problem for you, let me tell you. Yeah, we're, we're going to have some fun with this one. When we, we say memorable yeah. characters, um, outlandish is probably a better better term. But oh, okay. uh, this is going to be fun. All right. So uh, a lot of great stuff. Again, follow us on all your social media platforms. And by the way, YouTube, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. That it is doesn't the number one thing cost you anything. Do. No, just it's, it's hitting a button. It's yes. hitting a button. Um, just subscribe to YouTube, uh, share, comment, like. Let's get in those algorithms, you guys. And when we do that, we can take this thing to new heights because we're we're on that edge. We're on the edge, which we need you guys to help kind of push us over the edge. You guys have been doing a great job. We need it more. We need it more. Um, I'm basically, I'm begging because I've got no shame. And, I mean, that's what we do. We, we beg. I'm not too proud to beg to uh, quote salt and pepper. Um, hopefully we'll see as many of you as we can on Saturday at Lipridge. And um, yeah, Friday, be looking. We got a really cool, uh, really cool thing coming from Soda Stick. And uh, guys, I mean, anything else? Have I gotten all the shilling out of the way? All the promoting? That's it. Body slams and pinfalls to you and yours. <laughs>